0: Hello, and welcome to another intriguing episode of Talk Commerce. I'm your co-host, Jackie Downing, and we have a unique conversation lined up for you today. You know, we live in an age where understanding human behavior is more critical than ever, especially in the world of commerce. Today, we're diving deep into a concept that's revolutionizing the way we view ourselves and the world around us, human values. To guide us on this journey, we're privileged to have with us a man who has been hailed as a values activist, a leading figure in global human values research, a captivating speaker, a consulting maestro for big brands, and a best-selling author, David Allison. David has carved a niche in understanding and harnessing the power of values. He is the founder of the Value Graphics Project, creating the first-ever global inventory of core human values. And he's got an exciting new book coming up titled The Death of Demographics, Value Graphic Marketing for a Values-Driven World. With that said, I can't wait to introduce you to our host, Brent Peterson, who will be leading this enlightening conversation with David. It's time to unlock the potential of values in our lives, our businesses, and our world. But first, let's hear from our sponsors. Great
1: news for the Magento community. Hoofa is now fully supported by Amnesty, the number one Magento extension provider. With a catalog of over 250 Magento products and solutions and a full range of custom development services, Amnesty actively invests in providing compatibility with the HUFA theme. 33 solution compatibilities have already been released and are available as part of the regular product subscription with no extra charge. And many more new compatibilities are coming. In partnership with Hufa, Amnesty is focused on providing its clients with high-quality extensions, great performance, and a high level of service. Visit Amnesty.com for more details. That's A-M-A-S-T-Y dot com. And remember to tell them Talk Commerce sent you. Have you heard of the Hufa theme for Magento? It is a powerful yet intuitive theme that has been designed to help Magento store owners create the perfect online store. With the Hoofa theme, you can create a store that is unique and engaging while taking advantage of the latest technology that will make your site blazing fast. The theme is built with a modern, responsive design that is optimized for maximum performance and usability. You can easily achieve Google Lighthouse scores of 10. It is also fully customizable allowing you to adjust its look and feel to fit your brand. Overall, the Hoofa theme is the best choice for any Magento site. It is easy to set up and customize, and it provides powerful features to help you create a successful online store. Plus, it is designed to work seamlessly with your existing Magento store, so you can take advantage of its powerful features and tools. With the Hoofa theme, you can create a beautiful, engaging, and successful Magento site, Go to hyva.io to learn more. That's hyva.io, and tell them that Talk Commerce sent you. My name is Brent Peterson, and I'm your host. Please remember to subscribe wherever you download your podcasts. And now, Redefining. Talk Commerce. Redefining. Welcome to this episode of Talk Commerce. Today, I have David Allison. David, go ahead, introduce yourself. Tell us one of your. Tell us your day-to-day role and one of your passions in life. Ah, okay. My name is David Allison. Thanks for having me over. Nice place you have here.
2: My role is I'm the founder of a thing called the Value Graphics Project. I'm a human behavior and human values expert. I write books, I give speeches, but mostly what we do is help companies understand their customers without using demographics and psychographics, but instead using value graphics. And a passion for me Gosh, there's a lot of things, but an easy thing to say is I go to the gym every single day and not for the reasons that many people would think I go because it's community for me. There's a regular group of guys I see there and that's my place to touch base with folks who have nothing to do with my work and to just feel like I'm part of something. It's one of my values is community.
1: That's awesome. Yeah. That's also one of my values. And we were talking about the pictures behind me. We started a little run, a fun run in Las Vegas in twenty twelve. That turned out to be a three hundred and fifty person fun run in twenty nineteen, the last year of Magento Imagine. And I was I'm a big proponent of getting people to change their lives through movement and if you're a if you're a computer person, you're very sedentary. So I'm a believer in moving people off of their chairs and doing something. I have a walking treadmill that I often use. And I also volunteer at an organization that helps people that are transitioning from either prison or living on the street to community and running. And really the the (laughs) binding part of that is community. It's not the running aspect. It is community. So I'm the same thing. I go and meet my running team So tell
2: me about the people who are part of that community. I want to hear about them in terms of age, gender income, marital status, number of kids, all that demographic stuff.
1: Which community? The the running community you were just talking about. Okay, I'm in three distinct running communities. One is a runner's running community, one is a developer's running community, and one is a community of people that don't understand what running is. But they're coming Uh out of, say, a halfway house... And we're helping them to understand that there's more to life than maybe drinking or taking drugs and that this idea of running gives you not just the exercise and some of those endorphins, but it also gives you a chance to talk to somebody unencumbered for a certain amount of time, anywhere from, say, 30 minutes to four or five hours if you're running a marathon. So I jump between all those different communities. I'm hearing
2: two very strong themes in your own value graphics profile. The first one is community. It's a big part of your life. You're making decisions about what to do, how to spend your time, where to invest your energy and where you invest your heart based on how it impacts various communities and also health and well-being. That's another big part of your life. And so what we do to carry on with this thread a little bit is we look at large groups of people, target audiences for big corporations, small, medium, doesn't matter. And we come back and say, you know what? Your target audience, these are the values that they have in common. Here's the three or four or five that they share. Now, if you're going to try and talk to those people and get them to do something, get them to buy a thing or think a thing or change a behavior or whatever it is you're trying to accomplish, and you use those values as a way to connect with them, You're going to be far more successful than if you use what you think you know about them because they're baby boomers who are male and earn $100,000 a year. And that's the root of our work is to try and get people to change the way they look at people and stop using these ridiculous stereotypes about who people are based on what they are on the outside and instead start giving people data around what people are on the inside where it really
1: counts. Yeah, that's that, that's such a good point. Let's let me take one pause before we get into it because I want to dive into those into that subject and I, that's very interesting. I did prep you with my free joke project, so I'm going to mm, tell yeah. you a joke and you should you're going to tell me if I think you you should do is tell me what value graphics that you get out of me telling you this joke.
2: Okay, I'm ready.
1: All right, here we go. Eating eating too much cake is a sin of gluttony. However, eating too much pie is okay because sine of pie is zero. And I suppose it's better if you read it. S I N of pie. Sin of pie. Anyway, you're right. Okay. Yeah, sorry. You know that what? 99.9% of the
2: population, that's going right over their head, my friend. That's not.
1: <laughs> well, join my jokes. <laughs> that's what they do. <laughs> uh, I'll tell... Okay, one more. This will be a little easier. Okay. I once had a fight in a toilet. Serious crap went down. Oh, good Lord. Toilet jokes. <laughs> yeah, one From one spectrum to the other. <laughs> there we are. There we are.
2: Yeah. What would I know about you based on your desire to tell jokes? One of the 56 values in the value graphics database that we've built from... Interviewing people all over the world is creativity. And I'm going to say, now I know a little bit more about you. We got community going on, we got health and well being as another value. And I'm seeing some creativity coming up in your desire to collect and tell and codify jokes of all sorts across
1: the joke spectrum. Yeah, very good. Thank you. All hmm. right, you got me. <laughs> All right, I, I think I, I love what you're saying. so I'm gonna I'm gonna break down let's use running groups because I like to talk about running all the time. So I, I listed three, but I have four distinct groups that I'm in and I used to travel to India all, a lot a lot and I joined a running group there as well. And their running group is filled with professionals that have dis- have determined that they don't want to be fat and they would like to do something that would help them to slim down. So they've joined this group, but I think after they've joined the group, they've they've found that there's actually a community in these this group of runners. So that's one of my groups. My second group is just the running group that we go to because we're all runners, right? We all, we've all done so many marathons, and we're training for the next one. That's I think that one's easier. That could be anybody, but there's a certain person who wants to – complete a race or whatever. The one that put my picture on the wall is a group of developers or salespeople at a company that we meet before a conference. And we may, they may not be a runner, they may be a walker, but they want to join and not talk about business for that time. And then the fourth group is the one that I started off with, the homeless, say people coming out of prison or homeless or that are coming from a halfway house, and they don't know anything about it, and we introduce them to running.
2: That's four very interesting groups. What strikes me about all of them is that there's some common thread there, that you're going to see demographics of all sorts, all ages, walks of life, coming together around this common activity. And we have to be careful not to think that behaviors and activities are values values are the reason why you choose a certain behavior or activity. And then the first example you gave the group in India, there's a a common desire to slim down and stay in shape uh, for this group of executives. So there's going to be some demographic similarity perhaps in that group. Once they join, however, they are going to quickly find that there are other benefits you've mentioned, like Community and other things that start to happen for them as they're part of that group. So, the initial reason to join may have been a value like ambition, or a value like personal growth, or a value like health and well-being. So, various reasons that would make me say, Okay, that's this is the behavior I'm going to choose. Once you're in there, though, you start to see how it aligns with other values, and some of the ambition people may suddenly see that, oh, this is actually really good for my health and well-being, and I'm getting some community out of this as well, and vice versa. So everybody's values are reinforced. Whose values are not reinforced are the ones who drop out. The reason they're dropping out and not coming back is they're not getting a sense of values alignment. It's the only way, in fact, that human brains know how to do anything. There's a piece of your, inside your prefrontal cortex called the insula. The insula's sole job in life is to boss you around and say, you're going to choose door A, not door B. You're going to go down this path, not that. You're going to stand in a grocery store and choose between two cans of soup. And in the blink of an eye, you don't even know what's going on. You choose one or the other. And your brain is doing that through the insula entirely based on which one aligns with your values better. We don't get to argue about this. We don't get to choose. This is how human brains are hardwired to chase our values whether we know we're doing it or not. So what it means is if you can look at a group of people and say of the 56 values we've identified around the world, which ones do they have in common? It's like you have their GPS system. If you think about them like a school of fish move in one direction and moving in another direction, if you know why they're moving in one direction or another, you know what they're going to do next. You're like, ah, oh, okay, here's that thing coming up that makes them move in the other direction. So now here they go over there. And so that's the secret, right? That's the secret to what most, pretty much every business, every organization on earth, we're all just trying to figure out where the school of fish is going next so that we can get in front of them and get them to go in the direction we'd like them to go. And so it's really that simple. And it's taken a lot of data and a lot of research to get us there. But now we can look at any group of people in the world and say, here's what they have in common and therefore what we need to say to them or how we need to show up for them in a way
1: that's aligned with their values. And so then if you were to take the leap, we'll put that in the sense of a customer who's wanting to buy from a merchant or a another B2B person who's trying to buy from a company, how do you help that client or that merchant determine how can they figure out who their ideal customer is. So to rephrase your question, how do we know the values?
2: How does somebody listening today figure out the values for their audience? Okay. There's three ways we can do this. The first way is you hire my company and that's not free and it's not for everybody. So we can do that with a whole lot of statistical accuracy, more than you need for a PhD from Harvard. But let's move on to the second way you can do this, which is cost you about Last time I checked, 16 bucks. That's the cost of a book because I have a book out on the market. It's called The Death of Demographics, and you can get it on Amazon. And that book has a quiz in it. It's a 15-question quiz. You just load that up into SurveyMonkey or... MailChimp, or I don't know why we name all those after primates, quiz orangutan. There's the next one for somebody who wants to make a survey platform. And ask as many people in your audience as possible to take that little quiz. And it will point you to one of 15 chapters in the book that's about one of the biggest archetypes that we see in our global database. So the people of the world, in a really rough way, you can break them down into 15 kinds of people. That's super rough, as you can imagine. There's 9 billion people in the world You were saying there's only 15 kinds of people. It's not true. There's hundreds of thousands, but they all feed up into these 15 giant tribes. So if we can figure out your target audience using that little quiz, which one of those giant tribes they're most alike, there's a whole chapter in the book that tells you everything you need to know, all kinds of stuff that you'll find useful. So that's the second way. And the third way is free, and all you got to do is use these three questions. We call them the three telltale questions. And these questions have been tested over and over and over again, and they work. Now, before I tell you what the questions are, it's important to understand that two things. One is you can rephrase these in your own words so that it sounds natural. And the second thing is you got to ask a lot of people these questions. This is something that you want to say for the next six months. Every time I have a guest on my show, I'm going to ask them one of these questions and I'm going to start listening for the themes. Everybody will answer them different ways, but I want to listen for those themes bubbling to the surface. Those are people's values. So ask enough people, listen for the common themes. You start to get a sense of the values of the people that you're asking the question of. So question number one, why do you go to work? It's a really interesting question. People will tell you, oh, it's to pay my bills. It's for my family. It's what I do. It's how I get my creative yaya's out. It's like, there's all kinds of reasons why people go to work. Second question. You just won the lottery. Why would you give away half? And this one, you got to sometimes probe a little more because humans want to say, I'd give it to the local, this, my writing group and say, no, not who, but why would you give it away? And then people start to think a little deeper and they'll give you some answers that are about the motivation behind an enormous decision like that. And the third one this is my favorite question. And you can also use it with your friends when you're having a dinner party after they've had a couple glasses of wine, because it's a great friend tester. So this question is, goes like this. You get to write a letter to yourself from 10 years ago. What would you say to yourself from 10 years ago? And more importantly, why those things? So everybody's going to have some version of the stock market, or I would tell myself to buy this thing I didn't buy or to whatever, but why those things? So you can see the common thread here. It's all about the, why did you make this monumental decision? Why do you spend most of your waking hours doing a thing called work? Why would you give away half your money? Why? Would you say those things in a message to yourself in the, from the past? It's Simon Sinek's why, but we've just added data to it. So now we can predict that why with an incredible amount of accuracy. But that's a good kind of just like way to get a, a napkin sketch, a sketch on the back of an envelope in terms of the values that are driving your target audience, is to use the three telltale questions.
1: That's interesting, that last one. So I'm part of an entrepreneur's organization, and I know there's one in Winnipeg, and there's one here in Minneapolis. But that last question is, if we do have a a facilitator in our group, that's one that they will often do, that they'll write a letter to yourself from 10 years ago. But I will say that they don't say, why would you say that? I think that's Hmm. good insight, and I'm digging into that and learning from that. So let's just take that first one, why do you go to work? How do you... the The questions are infinite, so do you look for commonality in those answers? The answers are infinite, so do you look for commonality in those answers and then try to group those together?
2: Yeah, exactly, which is what we did with our global database, right? You're listening for how people answer those questions, and you're going, oh, those guys are all more or less talking about things that have to do with their family. And these other folks over here, they have a bunch of answers that are all to do with their ambition and their social standing. They go to work because it's how they make themselves feel like they're important. And these folks over here, they go to work because it's their creative outlet. Their job is their creativity. I have architect friends who fit into that category and I have accountant friends who fit into that category. There's all kinds of versions of what it means to be creative. So you're going to start to hear people when they give you an honest answer to that question, they're going to come up with all kinds of core drivers of why they go to work. So drivers and values, you can use those words interchangeably. What are your drivers? Humans are only driven by values. It's a chunk of our brain. That's the only way it works. So if you know what someone's drivers are, you really truly know deep, deep what those drivers are. Not just a behavior or a preference or an emotion, but an actual driver, that's a value. And those values... Turns out there's only 56 now much the way you're listening in a case like that for the themes and the common answers to come up. That's how we built our database. We've gone out and talked to 750,000 people around the world across 180 countries with a team of translators in 152 languages. And we ask them a bunch of questions like that, much more in-depth, much more broad and deep. And we brought all the data to one place. And I always tell this story and make it about Halloween candy because who doesn't like Halloween candy? So your kid comes home with a giant pillowcase full of candy and you dump it all on the dining room table and you just stand back and you go, okay, we're going to sort this out. There's clearly, there's a pile of chocolate bars over there. And then there's a pile of lollipops over there. And then there's a a pile of single wrapped candies, like like, uh, those little brown and orange ones in the wax paper. There's a pile of those. So you book piles based on what's there. So we went and asked all these people all these questions. We listened to them all over the world. And we brought it all and dumped it on the dining room table. And we found there's 56 piles. There's 56 values. That's what people are saying to us all around the world. Now, within each of those piles, there's infinite number of variations. There's actually more than 8,000 individual codes in our database. So just as an example, belonging, most important value in the United States of America, there's more than 190 kinds of belonging. So when we detect belonging as being an important value for a particular group of people, we can go past that and go, and this is the kind of belonging that your audience is looking for. So it's very precise and it's beautiful. We learn some amazing things, not the least of which is that there's only 56 values. These days where everybody wants us to think that there's, we're so different from everybody else, this divisiveness that rules the world right now, we're not all that different from each other. There's only 56 things. There's more keys on a piano then there are things that drive us as human beings, like that finding, that's cool. Of course, there's variation from one part of the world to another, but it's only 56 things. It's not that many. That's a beautiful thing we found. The other thing we found is that there's all kinds of things. I'll tell you one more story. There's five values in the 56 that we refer to as the togetherness values, and they're a little togetherness cluster, and they are a family, belonging, friendship, relationships, and community and no matter who we profile anywhere on earth, whether it's tech industry, AI cloud engineers, working in the Silicon Valley or wall street hedge fund investors or women who are shopping for pet food in Europe, it doesn't matter. Always some of those togetherness values show up in their top 10. So more than anything else, humans want to be together. Now, the way we want to be together, it's five different versions of that. And within each of those five piles of candy, there's some even smaller nuances, but it's a big finding that the most important thing to humans is being with each other, which is why COVID and the pandemic was so hard for everybody. I don't know anybody who is thrilled about isolation. It's why people go, a little mental health issues. When people are locked away in isolation for any period of time, why babies in orphanages who don't get to be together in the way you're meant to at that m- moment in your t- childhood development have so many issues. We need others. We need each other. And I love that. I love that. That's another
1: one of our big findings. Yeah, I want to, I'm going to jump back to the running theme again. And I'll make an, I made an observation with, I went with a group of people, a group of our friends to Tokyo and we ran the Tokyo Marathon the weekend before last. And one observation that we made was that the course, that the people on the course were completely different than say, if you ran Chicago or New York or one of the other big major marathons, it was very subdued. And there was not all the signs out there with poke me to get more power and candy on the course. (laughs) And it was a complete, there was a lot of people, but the people were very quiet. There wasn't anybody yelling with cowbells, which is very odd when you're in a city of 30 million people, not to get that sort of energy from the crowd. There was some dancing and music, but it wasn't anything like an American race where you just get wall to wall energy the entire time. Yeah. Now,
2: I don't have the data for the people of Tokyo in front of me, but it would mean that there's a different set of values-driven norms in that city compared to, let's say, New York City Marathon. One thing I can tell you about the American population that's unique is the prevalence of the value of belonging. It's the number one most important value to the entire population of the United States of America, more than family. And this is why as a Canadian sitting up here watching this amazing show you've been putting on for us in your political world for the last couple of years. Thank you. By the way, it's been infinitely entertaining belonging outranking family helps me explain why uncle Bob and aunt Sally are no longer invited to Thanksgiving dinner because they chose the wrong color. You wouldn't hear that story in many other parts of the world. So we take that to the race environment. People are yelling and screaming and holding up signs for their team, even if their team's just one person. It's That's my team, and I'm going to make sure they know I'm here. That's the belongingness value coming out loud and clear in the United States.
1: Yeah, that's, that's really interesting. I think the other thing that we learned was that there is a group mentality in Japan where if one person's doing it, a lot of people are going to do it. So masking was very much in, and people mask everywhere. And, you know, even on the streets, people are wearing masks. It's not mandated anymore, but people are mm-hmm. still doing it because everybody else is doing it. Nobody wants to not do it.
2: I one think- of the values is respect, and I had yeah. a feeling that's maybe what you were seeing there. I'd have to go and pull the data on Tokyo and on Japan, but I know that in Asian cultures in general, The value of respect is much higher than it is in Western cultures. And in fact, if you think back to pre-COVID days, I live here in Vancouver. We are blessed with a whole lot of Asian residents and Asian visitors. It's been a favorite spot for people from China and the rest of Asia for a very long time. And we used to see people walking around with masks on before COVID. And it was always a little, wow, what are they doing? Why are they wearing a mask? It's because they were ill and they didn't want to spread. So that was out of respect for us. We thought they were like worried about us giving them something. It was, that was about them not wanting to get somebody sick. So the value of respect. And then I would also say in what you were noticing in this instance in Tokyo, another value that tends to rank high in Asian cultures is tradition. And the way you behave can be very much about this is the way it's always been done. And if we're all going to do a thing, we're all going to do a thing. So I don't know. I'm making stuff up off the top of my head here, but it seems like a very, wow, this is a big, giant, stereotypical thing to say, and I'm all about not being stereotypical. But the Asian cultures in general, you'll see these kinds of behaviors coming to the forefront more so than you do in Western cultures.
1: All right, I've got one last one for you, and then we'll probably run out of time. But I think it was a, a fellow Canadian, Malcolm Gladwell, who I saw talk <laughs> Malcolm. Of, about how Americans are always challenging authority where a lot of other cultures don't challenge authority. And he gave the example of a Colombian airliner flying over New York in the 80s, I think. And the co-pilot noticed that they were nearly out of fuel, and the captain said, no, we'll make it. And in 99% of the time, if an American co-pilot would be able to, would say, "No, we've got to set down now," and the, the airliner actually crashed, and they gave the example of that culture in La that Latin culture saying, "The boss is the boss, and whatever the boss says, we're going to go with it." Where an Americans and may- maybe some Canadians would be part of that, but certainly an American culture is if we don't see it, we're going to challenge it. Absolutely. If we believe something is wrong, we're going to stand up and say, no, that's not the right way to do it. Yeah. I can't
2: comment on that because again, I don't have the values in front of me, but it's definitely, if Malcolm's noticing it, I'm calling him Malcolm. We're best friends. If Malcolm is noticing, Mr. Gladwell is noticing these things and commenting on it, we could trace it back to a set of values because everything that humans do is about their values. And you know what? I pulled a little bit of data today. I wanted to quickly share before we run out of time. I know your listeners, a lot of people listening to this are in e-commerce. So we've done a couple of different studies in that arena for different keynotes that I've given. And one of them was the digital enterprise show in Spain, in Malaga, Spain last year. And we looked at people who are B2B online purchase decision makers. So these are people who are buying stuff on behalf of their companies. Um, there were some restrictions on who we let into this sample, a certain size of an organization, certain dollar amount, but large scale B2B online purchase decision makers. And. One of the things that really ranked high over index compared to the general population are two values that were number two and number three is personal growth and personal responsibility. And for those to be in second and third place is quite remarkable. They generally aren't. In fact, I can't think of another time where this has happened. So you have a group of people here who are making business purchase decisions on in an online environment and they're driven by how is this going to make me a better version of myself? And how can I be responsible for this? So if I was an e-commerce person trying to, or e-commerce brand trying to get these folks to choose me, I would be highlighting anything I could find that has to do with taking this business decision and making it a personal decision. This is the right choice because it's going to be good for you and because it means you're the decider. You're the one who's been responsible for this. You made this call and it's going to reflect well on you and you're going to grow as a person as a result. Super broad set of recommendations there because we're talking to everybody in the business to business community, but take what I've just said, find a way that it makes sense for your particular brand, your product category. And I guarantee that you'll see a tick up in numbers if you can take what is standard B2B language around an online purchase decision and start to turn it into stuff that's about how it will impact the decider personally around their own personal growth and personal responsibility. And conversely, I'm going to cram this last one in here too. We also looked at online shoppers for one of my clients, PayPal. And I know PayPal won't mind me sharing this because we shared this already with everybody on the Business Insider platform. A couple of different times we've been on that platform talking about this. PayPal users around the world over-index for the value of security. They're choosing PayPal instead of some of PayPal's competitors because they see PayPal as being the secure option. Now, PayPal prides themselves on an intense level of security. And in fact, it's part of their culture to talk about how intense their security is. But I don't think they had seen it as a key deciding driver for consumers to be choosing the PayPal checkout mechanisms compared to their competitors. So just knowing that one point, PayPal is able to start augmenting and prioritizing consumer-oriented messaging around security. And it makes sense in these days when there's a data breach every 20 minutes that we're hearing about on the news, that here's a brand that stands for the exact opposite of that, and a group of people are gravitating towards it because of that fact. But to know it now, and to know that you can prioritize it and have data behind that decision instead of just a whim
1: that's the difference. That is very interesting as well. And I was part of a study, or I was part of a group that did mobile optimization with PayPal. And a couple of things that were interesting, so the uptick things were pretty obvious. They added a padlock to the checkout button, Mm. and that increased conversions by 11%, some number. But there was other things, and I don't have the numbers in front of me, that there's other things that you would think were intuitive that that reduced reduced the the checkouts. So, anyways, that I think PayPal is definitely on the cusp of making that data, working on that data, and and working through to make sure that their customers are the happiest customers.
2: Yeah, because at the end of the day, we're all in marketing in one way or another. Whether you have a sales title or a business development title, we're all in marketing, right? We're all just trying to get some people to do something. And marketing is just about telling the right story, no matter what your tools are to tell that story you design a product in a certain way that's a kind of story that you're telling so marketing is just about telling stories and value graphic marketing is about telling stories that people actually care about and that's really what it boils down
1: to at the end of the day that's awesome if you had a little nugget to tell somebody that's running an online store they want to get started what would that be Start asking questions
2: when you're doing your minimum viable product, when you're doing your testing, when you're showing it to your friends and family, however you're going around trying to collect input. Ask all the questions you need to ask about your product. If you must, ask questions about demographics, although demographics don't really help us with anything because people don't behave in a way that isn't aligned with their value, gra- with their demographics. But don't forget to ask this third kind of question. That's what we all forget to do, which is what's on your mind, my friend? What do you care about? What makes you excited? What gets you out of bed in the morning? What worries you? Not about my product, although thanks for that information. And not about whether you're 18 to 24-year-old male who was $75,000 a year and has a college degree. That's all cool. But who are you as a human? Because what I'm trying to do with my website, with my e-commerce offering, is to get humans to make a decision. And so ask those human questions. Don't forget that B to B, B to C, those are fun little terms. But really, at the end of the day, what we're all doing here is H to H. This is about humans talking to other humans. Lee Iacocca has a great quote about this. He said, business is nothing more. Than a bunch of human relationships. Thank you, Mr.
1: Iacocca. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Great <awesome>. quote.
1: <laughs> yeah. I think right now with, with chat, chat GPT and machine learning becoming so prevalent without humans, without humans, we wouldn't be able to steer and help that machine learning to learn what humans want. It's just yeah. going to give us crap. One thing after the other So humans are needed always. Oh, they are. And I'm glad you brought that up because I'm worried about where
2: that stuff's going, but I have a solution. I just don't know who to give the solution to. So I'm going to say it now and hope that somebody who's listening today knows somebody who knows somebody. If we could embed in AI what our human values are and what drives all of us and what we care about so deeply that it rules our lives. If we could embed this data in the source code for AI, and I'm probably using all the terminology, well, then we'd be able to build AI in a way that reflects all around the world what's most important to us. And then let it rip. Let it do whatever it's going to do. But know that one of the things that it's been taught is that it can't contradict what our human core values are. And I have the data set. And if we could find the right people to just give that to, if I knew that it would be embedded in AI and make that thing into the amazing and not damaging, not scary tool that it could possibly be, I'd give it to them for free. They could have it.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. I think if you, if, I think if we look up after this podcast, there's a Microsoft AI that kind of went wrong, and they had to put some reins on it because it started getting jealous of the users. And <laughs> 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 Maybe there was some effort to do that, and it went wrong. Yeah, I don't uh, know. So, yeah. David, as we close out the podcast, I give the guests a chance to do a shameless plug about anything you'd like to plug. And I know <laughs> that you wanted to plug the University of North Dakota Grand Forks, but <laughs> you've already done that.
2: That's my alma mater, it is.
1: Yeah, we want to um, do North Dakota. Because North Dakota needs help. It's a
2: square, right? <laughs> you. Speaking as a Minnesotan, you're a rectangle. It's not much <laughs> matter. not a rectangle. (laughs) Rectangle with a little diggly bit over on the side. Not Uh, even close. Oh, come on. (laughs) What would I like to plug? For the benefit of everybody listening, if you go find my book, if you sell a book on Amazon, you make about a buck. So it's not to make me rich, but there is a lot of really useful information in there. It's called The Death of Demographics. It's on Amazon.ca, Amazon.com, Amazon Amazon all over the world. And I hope that really helps some people. But if I wanted to plug something, I'd give you two... Website addresses. The first one is David Allison com. That's where my work as a speaker and an author is represented. I speak all over the world and try and evangelize about why values are better for us than other ways of thinking about people. And then value graphics. com is where the research company is represented. But I'd like to close this way if I can. I guess this is the biggest plug of all. The reason I speak and write books and feel a bit evangelical about this is there's a much bigger issue at stake here than just boosting productivity and ROI on our businesses. And it's this. We all innocently sit around in boardrooms and talk about our audiences and our employees and all the people that we need to understand and we say okay the way to do this is to use demographic labels. So my audience is x percent male and female they they make this much money and they're black or they're white or they're gay or they're straight or they're younger they're older they're male or they're female and we put all these labels on a group and we say that's the way you need to think about people. And we do this all over the world. We've been doing it for centuries. This is the way we think about people. is we put these labels on them. And it doesn't work. We have the data to prove that now. It's only about 10% effective to use demographic labeling on a group of people. But more importantly, it's inadvertently, innocently, it's the raw material, the raw fuel for ageism and sexism and racism and homophobia and so on. So if we just stop this, And stop thinking that demographics somehow tell us who people are and realize that all demographics do is tell us what people are. If we just change the way we look at people, it'd be way better for our companies. Our ROI will go through the roof. And we can make the world a little bit of a less divisive place while we're at it. So it's a really nice twofer. It's a really nice twofer. That's that's my plug
1: got to be the best plug I've heard this year for certain. Uh, cool. David Allison, thank you so much for being here. I will put all those links in the show notes, and I wish you a great day. Thank you. You too. Thank you for making it to the end of this episode of Talk Commerce. Please rate this episode wherever you download your podcasts. We are actively looking for people to participate in the free joke project. Go to talk-commerce.com and sign up for your free spot on the Free Joke Project. If you are a business, I will do a 30-second elevator pitch in the spot to help promote your business. That's talk-commerce.com.